The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome, welcome to, to the, the Legendarium. We live in a highly individualistic society. We live in a highly self-involved society. Right. Yes. That's what I said. You said individualistic, <laughs> which is different. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. I am Craig Hanks, your host, and over there, it's a couple of guys I couldn't even be bothered to insult, in addition to one guy who couldn't even be bothered to show up. <laughs> I even had a snappy retort for a, Did, for an insult. Let's, let's hear your retort. My retort was going to be, if you're going to call me old, let's just make clear I'm not as old as Mraz. Do we know how old Mraz is? Old enough that he said he had one foot in the grave. <laughs> <laughs> I would have said I'm not as old as Peter, but... So, Todd, that, you're hearing Todd and Ken, of course. Uh, Ryan was scheduled to appear, may appear, we don't know. Uh, He's riding on the pack of Aslan as we speak, liberating people all along the way. I really, really doubt that. Either that or he's <laughs> dancing in revelry with, uh, with Bacchus. Bacchus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that eh, sounds a little closer, I suppose. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, yes, I, I I did not prepare any insults today. So for those of you who look forward to those, well, keep looking. Look forward next week. <laughs> yep. Look forward to the next one. Uh, but I do have an intro. I, I wrote myself a little Prince Caspian intro. So we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, but just a reminder, as always, go to reddit.com uh, or sorry, thelegendarium.reddit.com and join the conversation after this episode. Uh, we're recording this at, at a slightly different time. Usually we do it at the end of our weekend. This is kind of like the middle of the day on a Saturday. Yeah, and this beautiful is... day outside, and we're stuck in a little hole in a basement it's, doing a podcast. Isn't it the best? Yeah, the, I think so. The sun's shining, and I'm nowhere near it. Uh, <laughs> that, look, through, that's those the little, way it is. Yeah. through those little perfect. Those little windows up there, there's sun. Uh, it reminds me of the old Emo Phillips joke about don't open the cellar door <laughs> one day he opened the cellar door and he saw trees and the sunlight and yeah uh is that the joke that was the joke that's a not a good joke it's told better when it's actually told oh <laughs> so yeah. what you're saying is you wasted everybody's time what i'm saying is you had to be there <laughs> good <laughs> heavens ken uh yeah, podcasting with you is not the greatest joy of my life. This is what happens when you don't prepare insults. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, but I also wanted to mention, uh, if you uh, are not able to go to patreon.com slash legendarium and support the show there, there is another thing that you can do. Um, go to uh, iTunes and leave a review. You can oh, yeah. simply leave some stars or you can uh, leave a comment. Those are wonderful. And if we get enough of those, I think I'm going to start reading those on the air. Ooh. Uh, but it, we really do appreciate the reviews. I think we're at like 47 right now. I'd really like to get to 100. That's cool. Um, so if you haven't done it yet, please uh, help us get to 100 reviews, and uh, and we would really appreciate it. I'd love to start charting a little bit better on iTunes uh, so that more people can find the Legendarium. So Maybe if we get to 150, Craig will start reading them in Elvish. If you write them in Elvish, I'll read them in Elvish. <laughs> Uh, all right. So anyway, the, all those pleas are done. Today we're talking about Prince Caspian. This is our fourth episode in the Narnia series. I don't know how you're counting the books, but it's number four for us uh, today. Prince Caspian, and I'll do a little uh, do, do a little intro, and then we'll get on with our conversation. Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy are back at it again. Uh, they're pulled from London back into Narnia. Several hundred years have passed, and even their sweet castle is a pile of ruins. They were brought because of the great need of Prince Caspian, whose uncle has usurped the kingship of Narnia, and being an outsider has driven the true believers of Aslan into hiding. Now, with a son of his own, he needs to kill Caspian, the true heir to the throne, to clear the way. Caspian teams up with the talking animals and magical creatures of Narnia and starts a civil war which he promptly starts losing and needs our hero's help to clean up. They do this. Peter fights the usurper in single co single combat, a battle breaks out, and Aslan shows up to dispense wisdom, judgment, and a way back to London. And thus ends Prince Caspian. 
that's basically the whole book. The book, wow, in this <laughs> case, is very, very interesting because nothing starts happening until <laughs> so it's a I want I want to say it's eighteen chapters or seventeen chapters, yeah. and nothing starts happening until about chapter twelve. It's still fun yeah. to read up to that point. Don't get me wrong, uh, but it's all table setting for over fifty percent of the book. Yeah, where it's like yep. the Peven- the Pevensey children. Which, by the way, we haven't even heard that name yet. Did you know that? The name Pevensey doesn't show up until uh, Dawn, oh, you're right. Dawn Treader. You're right. Uh, oh, but really? anyway, uh, so the Pevensey children show up, and they, they're kind of wandering around, and then they meet a dwarf who tells them the story of Prince Caspian, and then that takes several chapters, and then they have to get to Prince Caspian. And so that, that first 50% of the book is all just... Oh, here are these characters, and they're wandering around and having delightful little English conversations. Uh, and then here's this boy, Prince Caspian. He's in peril, uh, you know. And that that's it. One of the things that I came across uh, during during this process and a little bit of research was that C.S. Lewis originally had not titled the book Prince Caspian. It was originally tar- entitled Return to Narnia. Oh, it was yeah. Prince Caspian colon Return to Narnia, I believe. Even even uh, even earlier than that. Uh, C.S. Lewis wanted to call it just Return, Return to, Narnia. to Narnia. And so it was really more about the four children than it was about Prince Caspian. Somewhere along the line, somebody decided, hey, you know what? The kids will like this a lot better if it sounds like it's a, a war story. So let's call it Prince Caspian. I, who knows? Who knows how the, the whole process runs? Editors and producers and, and, and executives, oh my. You know, that's one of, the, one of the interesting things I've learned about the publishing industry uh, the more I learn about it is that uh, authors often have a lot less control than you might think yeah. over titles uh, titles yeah. subtitles uh, jacket designs that sort of thing and that's why like one of my favorite writers um, he's he's a political writer and uh, he's on his third book he's about to release his third book and he he said I had to put my foot down and said I will not write a book for you publisher unless you stop putting the word liberal in the title cuz you know they they know what little buzzwords yeah. sell books right? right and but he's like the the content of my book isn't as partisan as you want to make it on the right. cover you know so that right. sort of thing so anyway and obviously this is a different beast being a 1950s fantasy story but i wonder if some of this some similar things were at play here where it's like well thanks for the book We'll take it from here. Yeah, there's. I, I think um, I, I've had an opportunity to start uh, getting involved in that in that realm a little bit more aggressively, and it, it really is a it it is a business unto itself. The writing is one business. The editing is a separate business. But then when you get into the publishing, the marketing, the all all of those other pieces of it, all of these things are different pieces, and uh, authors often find themselves working very hard on a piece. And then when it gets char- when it gets finally finished and and put out to everything else, they stop and they look at it and they go, "Huh, that yeah, that's, that's not, what, not I was, what I that's yep. not what I had in mind." <laughs> <laughs> Very often, that sounds like um, it sounds a little bit like the filmmaking process where you have oh. um, yes screenwriters and you, you ask a screenwriter and often uh, oftentimes you'll you'll ask them what's it like to write movies and they'll say something like, "Oh, I I don't write movies, I write screenplays." And then other people make movies out of them. Yeah. Right. But like the finished product so rarely resembles <laughs> anything that they were going for in their Fantastic original. Four. Well, <laughs> pick your project. It doesn't really yeah, matter. Yeah, that's like, true. That's true. It happens all the time. Some are worse than others. Some fare worse in that process than others. <laughs> Certainly. Yeah. Certainly. Anything made by Disney. I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? Uh, yes, you did. <laughs> oh. Yes, you did. So anyway, that's okay. Disney well, doesn't listen to our podcast. And, and then there's Prince <laughs> Prince Caspian the book versus Prince Caspian the movie. So. Oh, can we talk about that really quick? Um, sure. Talk about yeah. Are we already talking yeah, about that? Go for it. Because it just ticked me off. It really ticked me off. Uh, just how much uh, C.S. Lewis just screwed up the storytelling. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. In, in his in his in his novelization. Well, it, it was clear that he didn't know <laughs> he didn't know how to write this properly i mean yeah for the movie we had to throw some other stuff well there's there is so he took out all the action bits he and took out the eagles pippin's yeah. favorite part i know i i was gonna say you know <laughs> tolkien was really glad that they finally ripped those out of the novelization i'm sure yeah okay. no it just tell me tell me tell me your feelings it, todd it, thank you 
you're listening. Thank you. Um, no, it, 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 it astounds me that, um, that we, that in our, in our day, we feel like we have to have more action in order for something to be engaging, riveting, interesting, worth your time, worth enough money, worth box office receipts. They spend so much time building this huge piece that's going to require lots of extra money to justify lots of extra box office receipts. What would have happened if they'd have told a really delightful story that didn't have that huge, uh, that huge piece that that needed all of the CGI in the film, and and then they got a lower box office receipt? Would they still have made as much money? Perhaps. I. Possibly. It just bothers me because it feels so much like it was pandering, simply for the fact of being able to say, "Look how much more money this one made than the yeah. last." Yeah. Kind of. Uh, well, and it was post. Sorry, I. No, it was. It was ahead. post uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy. You know, so yeah. I mean, flying eagles and then big sweeping battle scenes and that. <laughs> we were talking before the the mics were turned on about the Chronicles of Narnia, the first one and the second one. How they just had those big battle scenes that weren't really in the book that just feel like they had to be ratcheted up for a screen audience and it, for a modern audience. It reminds me of a of a commercial that I saw one time where they were talking about how how things work in Hollywood and they were they were plugging it was it was for a I, I believe it was for showtime or maybe for hbo anyway one of the one of the cable channels and they were trying to plug stargate as a either the movie or the series and he said yeah think of it as 50 50 star wars and indiana jones and he said make it 60 40 and you got a deal and i'm just kind of like what are you talking about because stargate sg1 is a it's a it's a great piece it does its own thing but it's not it, you know, what, why, why does it have to be these other things? Because we know that those are going to work. So that's how we describe it. And that's how we build it. Uh, it just, yeah. it, it bothers me that things cannot be taken on their own, that they have to be made into something different because somebody out there thinks that they won't sell otherwise. Obviously they're right. It's sold really well, but what would have happened if they'd have tried it the other way? Yeah, I don't know. I do know this though, on a side note, uh, if we ever had legendarium bingo, for people to like play along with as they listen to Uh-oh, our here episodes. We go. Here we go. You know what the free square is going to be? Todd using the word peace as a catch-all noun sometime <laughs> during the episode. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll take that. Uh, you're you're not the only one though, Todd. At least I don't use the word environment. And who and, uses environment? I do. I but I use it at a different in a different location, a different context. Oh, okay. It's it, it's a it's a good piece for you. This is the wrong environment <laughs> for that piece. <laughs> uh okay all right let's let's uh do we want to talk about the movie anymore because uh, i i'll be honest i saw it i think a long time ago but i don't remember much about it you're you guys are talking I, about the screaming eagles or whatever and i i do not remember anything about that yeah. i remember that the guy that played prince caspian was also the uh the, the kid that played dunstan on stardust in the the prologue of oh, yeah, the movie yeah, yeah. Stardust, oh, yeah. um, and, and so I, I like him. And uh, he's, well, he's been in lots of stuff since uh, Prince Caspian. Ben Barnes is his name. Ben he's Barnes. In, he's, he's in all sorts of stuff. Yeah. But uh, in fact, he's probably the most. I mean, excluding Liam Neeson, he's probably the most successful author, uh, out, out actor of the, to come movie. out of all of those movies. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh at yeah. Least, that's at, at least in America. What was the name of James McAvoy is that's in that too? What I'm yeah. He's in he's in line with the he's, wardrobe. He's so. been in a couple things. He's been maybe. in a, I think eh, or two. one or two. The only other thing that I would say about the movies is and and I I know it sometimes I come off across as being very angry about movie adaptations. When when I find myself being able to separate the two of them and say, "Did I enjoy the movie?" Yes, I did. I did enjoy the movie. Do I enjoy the book? Yes, I enjoy the book. Do I get frustrated when people have seen the movie and say, oh, I don't need to read the book because I've seen the movie. <laughs> and and yeah. that's where that's where I get to a point of saying, look, they're different mediums. They are they are completely different in their storytelling aspects. And don't expect that one has been faithful to the other unless you've read. Let them. me let me ask you this. Do you suppose that that is as true now as it would be for books written, say, in 1951? The reason I ask is because I've just had a conversation with Kyle and listeners who listened through our Wheel of Time episodes will remember Kyle, <laughs> uh, the the mythical the mythical Kyle who will be back for King Killer Chronicles. But yeah. anyway, so I was talking to Kyle about um, Ready Player One. He's never read the book, uh, and he's watching these previews, going, eh, "It looks 
like maybe it's fun i don't know uh it, the, the thing about the previews is they really need you to have read the book to understand even the preview yeah, so anyway yeah. but so i said uh i said you know i i don't know how the adaptation is going to go a lot of people are, are up in arms about the previews and everything and whatever it'll probably be fine uh but you really should read the book first like i feel like you need to read the book first it just don't let the movie spoil it. I, I think the book is a lot of fun. Um, and anyway, but in thinking back on reading Ready Player One, it's already written much more, I would think, cinematically it, than yeah. something like this is. Do you think that it's uh, it's easier to screw up an adaptation of something that was written back in the 1950s than it is to screw up an adaptation of something like Ready Player One, which is already written basically for the screen in your in your on, on the pages right it's it just feels like a movie already i i wouldn't say that it's easier to screw it up because that underestimates the uh, ineptitude of people who make <laughs> movies these days it really wow. does but T- tell I, us how you I will feel, say Ken. oh my gosh it's a but, good thing that nobody from hollywood listens to our podcast either <laughs> <laughs> i will say that um i think that literature is written much more not not directly for movies, but it's written more in the style of of screenwriting, in, in the sense that that you write you write the, the the printed word in a sense that will paint the picture in in the reader's head. I, we talk about how Brandon Sanderson I writes I, it I like think that. Lewis Lewis does pretty well. I think he does too at um, at writing visually, um, in interestingly I, in that way. I agree, but I think my the, the thing that that I would say is different now than than then good there you go good nicely done there's a good sentence job. for you nicely done uh the thing that's different now is that books much like movies the reason that that it feels like movies are just such garbage now <laughs> is because movies aren't made for anyone they're made for, for everyone, everyone yeah right good call. and books are often done the same way uh, whereas you read something like Prince Caspian, this was very much written for a targeted audience. This is school children, probably under the age of 10, in yeah. England in the mm-hmm. 50s. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that it can't be read and enjoyed by other audiences as well, but when you read it, you have a very clear audience that it was written for. Am yeah. I am I right? Yes. Y- yeah, that, that's fair. And I think the other thing that... Uh, that perhaps plays a, a much larger role is that movies are a a mass market. They are the mass market. Books used to be uh, in the 1950s. If you wanted your words out there, you wrote a book. Uh, in the 1960s, if well, you... right, but then why aren't books in the 1950s all written with uh, a bland uh, kind of least common denominator? Tone. It, in the same way that I think most, in, in the same way that I think we have romantic comedies, we've got action films, we've got, uh, we've got mood pieces. Uh, but now you're going films. back to the nineties. Well, okay. what what I'm saying is, is that there have always been different kinds of audiences that you were writing towards. Right. And so your audience, it, in in many ways, your audience does dictate that. But your audience was more likely to be a much larger audience that was going to read back in the 1950s. Um, and, and I, I know I'm making a huge assumption, um, and I'm sure that there are people all over the world that are saying, you don't understand history and I probably don't. Thank you very much. I'll, I'll, I'll eat that. Later. Hey, Hey, here's, here's everybody a, who's saying that Todd lived history. That's right. <laughs> here's a, <laughs> but, but, but I think that now when someone writes a book, um, or, or when, when some books are being written, let's say it that way, there is a thought going in the back of the head that says, and maybe someone will pick up the movie rights. If you, I write uh, this just correctly, right. I think it's partially you for the last 60, 70 years. You have authors who have Are you been, saying I'm 60 to 70 years old. Ken? I'm not. I, I would not. I would not <laughs> confirm nor deny that. But for the last 60 years, he's not going to give you that much credit. I'm not. But you, you have you have uh, three generations of authors who have grown up with varying degrees of actually watching TV and movies, yeah. but actually having TVs and TV and movies as a thing seeing stories being told, not just reading them, not just hearing them from the radio, which is a little bit older, but you, you actually have, you have moving pictures that tell a story. And, and even when you're writing the printed word, it's still, you have in the back of your mind, Hey, there are, 
there are movies and I know what movies look like. And so I think I, I maybe I'm up in the night, but I think there might be an inclination to write based on, Hey, how would this look in my head? Sure. Sure. So, all right. So we're, we're getting pretty far afield now. Yeah, Maybe Uh, maybe we should get back to Prince Caspian. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting discussion and, and one that maybe we could even come back to, uh, F, as the series progresses, you know, the, the differences between writing styles in that way. But let's get back to some things in the story itself. I want to talk about uh, something that is not controversial unless you are uh, an idiot who <laughs> self-publishes. Uh, no, there, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. But there are some people who say, and at least two authors I was able to find who had books on Amazon. I couldn't tell if they were actually self-published, but it doesn't matter. Um, they Their argument was that Lewis's tone is all wrong. Uh, this is a oh. bad book for children, and I want to get your take on this. His tone is all wrong because when we get to battle scenes, death scenes, that sort of thing, he maintains a sort of jovial tone. So there are scenes where... Uh, it, you know, Peter is fighting to the death. Like, Peter could yeah. get his head freaking chopped off. Or after that, shortly after that, the battle is joined, and there are some lines about how the Telmarine soldiers would um, would occasionally feel their feet getting pricked by a dozen small needles. You know, these little mice yeah. running around. Yes. And it's, it's hilarious and adorable. One of the few in the movie that I liked, that it was but perfect. It, yeah. But, like, it, it, would, it would mention this, he would say this, and then every once in a while they would fall down. If they did, the mice, the mice would, would kill finish them, them off. <laughs> and if they didn't, then somebody else would. And so there's this, um, it, it's, a, it's a scene full of death and mayhem and destruction. And he is treating it as though it's no big deal. Uh, uh, do, how do you feel about this? I, I semi-disagree. I mean, in the sense that the, the um, Miraz's own... Uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he, I mean, he puts his sword through Mraz to finish him off and then makes some quip about that's for, for, uh, calling me a coward earlier. So he, he, he adds funny, you know, fun little childish things like mice fighting, but that doesn't, it doesn't take away from the, the seriousness seri- of what's going on. It, it doesn't take away from the serious messages that go on. I mean, like, you know, stabbing your prince in the back and, oh, the scene before that, he lops off the witch's head, you know? And doesn't make a quip or a, or make light of that. That was a pretty dark scene. You know when the when uh, Nickabrick and the the two uh, evil figures were trying to get them to resummon the White Queen yeah. instead of Aslan. I mean, that's he he didn't shy away from from dark dark scary scary to kids themes in at the expense of making it fun and lighthearted. But he doesn't wallow in it either. No, and and I think that's and, and perhaps that's the difference is that because he because he addresses it and moves on quickly. It's felt like there's not enough seriousness. It, perhaps that's, that's where they're coming from. Is because I, I, I haven't read the comments, um, but it would seem to me that if if you're if you're talking about it and you move on, you can be accused of treating it lightly. If you spend a lot of time about moralizing about how horrible it is to take another human life and about how Peter wretches immediately after he right. chops off the head, then you're accused of wallowing in it to the extent that you're. Uh, that you're making it unapproachable. And if you make Peter say, ha ha, you know, see what I've done, now you're glorifying it. I mean, there's no way, there's always someone that can turn around and say, you've handled this poorly. I think C.S. Lewis, for his time and in his context, did a fine job. I think so too. He's telling a children's story. And how many children's stories have things like uh, Hansel and Gretel being fattened up so that the witch can boil them and eat them, or and then they shove her into and then they the, shove her into the, the oven. oven. Yeah, the, we, we're dealing with we're dealing with the same kinds of uh, life and death struggles that are all that are dealt with in Grimm's fairy tales at the same level of uh, of of uh, immersion. We're going to tell the story. We're going to get we're going to get through it, and then we're going to move on. You know, the yeah. wolf comes in and eats grandma. We don't hear about the blood splatter on the wall and how the CSIs would come through and at a later time they would be able to say, well, this was from an arterial spat, but this was obviously a punctured vein. You know, we we get that on TV. Uh, we'll get that with our with our police procedural uh, cop shows and whatnot. Um, but 
that that wasn't his intention. That wasn't where he was writing. Right, right. He wrote a ch- he he was writing a children's story for pity's sake. Yeah, I think I'm yeah. with you. I just wanted to bring it up because it's something that I ran into in my extracurricular reading. The same guy. Uh, well, like I said, there were there was more than one person who brought up this. Uh, oh, Lewis, are you writing for children? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, <laughs> but the but he one guy, again. I bet he sounded exactly like that. <laughs> I bet he did. I bet he did because the other thing that he brought up, I just loved this. Um, he was making some sort of Freudian analysis and and said that Lewis was obviously a repressed homosexual who was obsessed with masturbation because <laughs> uh, Aslan told Peter in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to always clean your sword. Wow. Are yeah. you kidding this me? Is the, this really? is the kind of analysis that people actually get published in books. Yeah. So, And they uh, make fun of our podcast. I know. I know. At, at least we're... Never mind. Yeah. Uh, so anyway... Obviously, he's never... Never mind. What uh, I've got a few more points, but what do you guys want to bring up? Todd, you go ahead. Okay, so... Um, I, my, I I do have one point that I want to talk about later, but I think one of the rest of you are going to bring it up, so we'll, I'm going to hold that one. I wanted to talk about something that hit me uh, very powerfully, and that was um, Lucy's experience with Aslan, and Aslan being hidden from Peter, Edmund, Susan, um, all of this kind of a deal, and the issue of Christian faith. Theme alert. Theme yes, alert. Yes, here we go. Here we go. Heaven forbid that we dive into anything religious related with C.S. Lewis's work. <laughs> right. Jesus talk ahead. Right? Or was it Ahoy? It was Jesus talk Jesus ahoy. Jesus talk ahoy. Um, the, the piece that, the piece that uh, or the piece about that that really impacted me, um, or the, one of the pieces of it, was that it felt like it was kind of Psalm 23. Um, this idea, yeah, yeah you're going to have to refresh my memory uh, on that one. Okay. So, um, there's a lot of imagery from Psalm 23, Psalm 23, as we know, uh, David, it's, it's perhaps the most yes, famous yes, of the as Psalms. we all, as we know, sorry, Psalm 23, I guess I spend too much time singing such material. Um, Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, uh, I shall one. fear no evil. Okay. Um, and there's all these kinds of things They've, we've got this deep valley. It's, it's a place where they feel they're all going to die. um, the the line uh, he restoreth my soul he leadeth me through the paths of righteousness for his name's sake um, all of this By was the being way, done I want everybody listening to know that Todd never broke eye contact with me he just knows all these lines <laughs> this this is a man steeped in his Bible I I may know a little bit of the Bible um, <laughs> perhaps a little. Um, uh, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies I mean all of these kinds of pieces are very much a part of this imagery that's going on aslan takes them to aslan takes them through the valley he leads them they there's there's a comment that they feel much much more refreshed than they would have much less tired than they felt that they would even though it was late at night um barely being able to see aslan but knowing that he was there and that he was being that he was the one that was leading them and when they come out they have they have uh this wonderful breakfast that occurs afterwards uh, with a Bacchan or with with Bacchus showing up, and we'll talk about that later, maybe. <laughs> oh, see, um, and I was thinking of uh, I was going back to Exodus, the whole cloud by day, uh, and then all they could see was his shadow. And that that one works too. There's there, but there's very, at, at least for me, this is that was a that that's was as a far piece as of my, imagery. That's as far as my Bibleiness goes. <laughs> by the way, well, Psalms is a little further than Exodus, so I can understand. <laughs> um, in in the midst of all of that, there is this this idea that it is that they are being led by faith. Um, that Lucy sees, Edmund almost sees, Peter, Susan, and Trumpkin do not see it all, but they are willing to follow by faith. And this is very much, a, you know, again, if Lewis is writing from a standpoint of uh, light Christian allegory, um, one of the things that he is going to, attra- to touch on are some of these Christian themes, and one of them is the theme of we have to have faith. We have to continue by faith, and we, if we're going to take the next step, it has to be a step taken in faith. I, yeah. I took it a, a little bit more simply, I think, uh, simply because of the audience to which he was writing, which I think was his grandkids or something. I don't remember, but uh, the, 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 the faith of a child, mm-hmm. for example, not, not losing the faith of a child, because Lucy can see, and like you said, Edmund can almost see, and eventually the others come around because Lucy kind of, you know, shows them the way, but it seemed like Aslan's point and, and, and C.S. Lewis's point uh, was retain that faith. And, and just because you can't see doesn't mean 
you know, it, it isn't there and the, that sort of thing. And it, it's very easy for adults to get cynical and, you know. And that, well, there's, anyway. um, there's a bit at the, no, I, I want to save that. There's a bit at the end when he says yeah. Peter and Susan won't be coming back. And right. so we'll talk about that later. Um, but sticking with this, this part as they're journeying toward Prince Caspian and the battle, I took a little bit different uh, lesson out of that. Um, mine was very much, uh, how would I put it? If you, okay, do you believe in X? So in this case, obviously, do you believe in Jesus? Because that's what uh, C.S. Lewis is writing about. But it can be anything else, really. If you believe in something, stick to it. Yeah. There's the part at the, uh, when, when Lucy finally does talk to Aslan, and she says, well, what do you want me to do, leave them? And he just kind of looks at her, and she's like, yeah, okay, yeah, I probably should have just left them. I remember you know, that. I remember that. <laughs> um, even, even if, and, and the, the other place that this shows up is with the old Narnians and how they are stuck underground. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they've they've been chased into hiding. This is very reminiscent of early Christians, right? Living in the catacombs of Rome and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, they aren't able to to worship Aslan um, openly, openly, right? And so they're they're literally and figuratively chased underground. Uh, and so the lesson here is: if you believe something, if you believe it enough, don't let pressure. Don't let some sort of, you know, peer pressure, societal pressure, whatever, uh, chase you away from that. If you really believe it, stick to it. Like the courage of conviction type thing? Yeah, courage of your convictions. Thank you, Ken. Uh, So if that means that you have to live underground, then you go live underground. If that means that you have to leave the comfort of the group that you're with, Mm -hmm. you leave the comfort of of the group. Um, I do remember, haha, here's (laughs) here's some Bibliness for you. Uh, I'm coining that one, by the way. And of course, Ryan would then say, that doesn't make it currency. Uh, But I'm going... It's almost like he's here. (laughs) (laughs) Bibliness. So, uh, oh yeah, that's right. Jesus says some at some point in the New Testament, he says, um, like, I'm here to divide mother from daughter, father from son. You know, that sort of thing where it's like, no, if if you really believe in this stuff, Eventually, that means you will have to make a stand, right? Mm-hmm. Have mm-hmm. the courage of your convictions, as Ken says. Um, and so that that I wish was, I could take credit for it. I heard it somewhere. That was one of the lessons that I got out of that, and, and it kind of, like I said, there's a couple places where that's sprinkled throughout the book. Yeah, but it's kind of a double lesson. It's not only that if you believe something, you need to not worry too much about the morons who want to make fun of you, uh, because. <laughs> Because they don't believe in that thing. Sure. But the other lesson that I got is um, if you don't believe in something, don't be one of the morons who ridicules the people who do. Um, and yeah. That was kind of the yeah. lesson for Peter and Susan, especially Susan, right? Because I think Cause she's the skeptic. There's so. the line that Susan was worst of all, right, in yeah, this I, whole episode. She Because she says, well, suppose I take, Su- uh, take Lucy's attitude and say, well, unless you, uh, I'm going to stay here and force all of you to stay with me <laughs> right right as uh, sisters will do so anyway i i like this lesson i always like the lesson wherever it shows up however it shows up that um and just because you know we all like the things that reinforce things we already believe in uh i'm a big fan of the philosophy of believe what you want don't be a dick about it yeah it, yeah We've end of story we should make a bumper sticker that says that you live what you want. Don't be a dick about it. Should that be on the back of the next Legendarium t-shirt? That should be. <laughs> right at, right below, let's get to the punching. Yes. Yeah. Right below, thank you. That, that'll be a great t-shirt. That'll, I'm, I'm Weird mixed messages. I'm weird. kind of excited about this. Did you, did you, <laughs> somebody's out there designing the t-shirt as we speak. I'm, I'm trying to re-rail us here, as opposed to derail, re-rail. But um, there was a quote along that that he says to Lucy when Aslan finally shows back up and he says it to Lucy every year you grow you will find me bigger because she comments that he's bigger oh yeah that was an interesting line. that's that's I think a lot largely what it's talking about whether you call it faith or conviction or it, it's belief in general as long as you stick to it your belief continues to grow and, and whatever it is it doesn't have to be you know the Bible or Christian or anything it, whatever your belief is whatever your conviction is you stick to it you grow with it, it grows with you, and it gets bigger as you get bigger. Uh, see, I, I interpreted that line differently. 
Um, the as you every year that you grow, I will grow with you, or I will. Is it I will grow with you, or I will appear bigger? every year? Every year you grow, you will find me bigger. There you go. Uh, I interpreted that to mean as you learn about something. Um, the more you learn, the more you realize you need to learn. I wish we had that shooting star PSA. Pew. Um, and so this you could apply this to all sorts of crap. I can oh, remember yeah. when I was uh, when I was just getting into the Lord of the Rings at like seventeen years old, sixteen years old, and um, and I'd seen all the movies, of course, and I was starting to read the books, and I I thought, oh man, this is really this is really interesting stuff. I want to learn more. So then I read the Silmarillion, and this whole mess of crap came tumbling yeah, out. Yeah, and you know, so the more I learn, the more I'm like, this, there's a ton of stuff here. Now I need to read Tolkien's biography. He fought in World War One. Holy crap! I need to learn about World War One. Yes, he was with this whole group called the Inklings. Oh, now I need to learn about all them and their biographies. You know, and so as you, the the more Every you learn about you something, grow. so it can be the same way. You know. Whether it's on an intellectual level or or a spiritual level, it can be the same. Uh, if you are, are getting very heavily invested in faith and sure. religion, yeah. it can sure. uh, it can expand with you, right? Yeah, I'd buy I'd buy both of those. Your measure of investiture. <laughs> I'd, I'd buy both of those. Hey, do we know? Do did either of you come across anything? Uh, any any direct indications that C.S. Lewis was making? Uh, was using this particular book as a, as his allegory of the calling of the apostles. Did that ever pop up in any of your uh, research? No, I didn't. I, I didn't get that. I no. I just wondered. By the way, uh, the idea of me doing research, I don't want to mislead you. I did do some, but I also don't want to mislead you. I didn't do much. <laughs> well, so. and, and and you know, I just if if it was something that was that was fairly common, then I should figured it would show up. If it was something that was coming out of left field in my yeah. brain, then I figured it wouldn't show up. No, I, I I like when things come out of left field in our brains. I that's part of the reason that I don't do a ton of outside yeah. reading with these is I I don't want to simply regurgitate things everything that everybody else says. I want us to have our own thoughts, I and I'm sure that we we have yet. To create a a wholly original thought on the legendary podcast, <laughs> I have no doubt. But at least they're original to us. Let's, sometimes let's that's good enough, right? Nobody's <laughs> going out there and finding out. This is why this idea is not original to you. <laughs> uh, okay, what so were you going to say? One Tom? Out? Yeah, what did y'all think about the Bakken orgy that shows up right <laughs> after? <laughs> I my my first my first thought to that was, man, we are way far afield from Santa Claus. <laughs> So <laughs> talk about talk about your out of left field cameos. Father so, Christmas Bacchus, and Bacchus. <laughs> Bacchus now help me help me out here. Uh Bacchus was a Greek god, yeah? The Greek was, god of well, revelry. revelry. Bacchus was the Roman variant. Roman? Okay. Yeah, Roman. Um, I'm sorry. Dionysus was the Greek. There that's you right, go. That's right. Okay. Now we're 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 ringing some bells. Yeah. Um so revelry doesn't necessarily mean orgiastic Todd. Go ahead. Whatever. <laughs> this, whatever. <laughs> my my understanding my understanding of the Bakken revelries or the uh, the Bacchanalia or the Dionysian was... revelries were that they were they were pretty the, hedonistic. They were all about. The... <laughs> Let's just say it was it was nothing in moderation. Nice. So yeah, there was there was nothing going. Boy, that was way. I born at the wrong time? <laughs> okay, there we go. I I just I. And and in the book it is it is uh, tastefully put together. It's it's done as a revelry, not as a uh, not as not as something not as an orgy. Much much less respectable. <laughs> uh, but uh, but again, I find this interesting that he he pulls from Earth. He he pulls from Earth mythology and inserts these pieces of Earth mythology in the midst of all of the uh, of all of the things that he's doing in Narnia. Uh, as that Narnia is a place of magic and a place where all of those old pieces can be brought in um, and and interwoven. I when I read the <clears throat> Bakken orgy, was it is that, is that what you yeah. called it? Yes. Uh, when I was reading the the bit with Bacchus, shall we say? Sure. Um, <laughs> it, it what it made me think of was not all the ancient. Roman and Greek stuff as much as oh you know it is interesting to think about 
uh, early Christianity, because we are talking about early Christianity here, um, you know, with like like we were talking earlier about uh, the true believers being driven literally and figuratively underground, all sure. that stuff. Um, but early Christianity, as I understand it, was much more of a revelrous uh, religion, mm. if that's a word. I'm going to go ahead and say it's a word. Uh, but there was a lot more singing, dancing sure. uh, involved, uh, a lot more group movement than the kind of stodgy Christianity so, that we that we associate now. More with. like a Baptist service than like a Methodist one. I don't, sure. I was thinking more like a Pentecostal. Uh, okay, yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I And I, my... My gut reaction would be to say, "Oh, it probably didn't really look much like that either." Um, I, I don't know, but I, I, I don't know for sure. I think both. I think both can both are both. But worked. anyway, that's that's what it made me think of was that uh, this is kind of pointing back to when Christianity looked different than it does today. And that's Craig's way of saying, "Todd, you're a dirty-minded old pervert." Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, get your mind out of the Bacchus. <laughs> I did. I, I I just found it. But I, I I think one of the things that's interesting is that uh, in the midst of that, um, Lewis's focus is on the food. It's on the food and well, the, you've seen the music pictures of the dancing. guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, indeed. Dude, um, dude loved his Turkish delight. I'll he, tell you. He, and Turkish delight is something magnificent and magical, just because it's Turkish delight. Um, borrowing from that phrase from Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Sorry, back to where we're talking about. Um, yeah, I, 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 I find that because they'd been talking about how all they'd had to eat since they arrived in Narnia were apples, and now they've got grapes. Um, that was just one of those moments where I went, huh, eh, nice touch. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> uh, all right, Ken, you uh, have anything else you want to bring up? I was going to say that was, that's certainly not a, a, a scene that was adapted for the movie. <laughs> I uh, and then yeah, that got me. It got me thinking. That that's what it got me thinking is how would you put that in the movie and, and keep it cleaned up? Um, there was a line that Trumpkin said early in the book when he. By the uh, way, how delightful is it in the year 2018 uh, when Donald Trump is president that there's a dwarf named Trumpkin? Right. <laughs> <laughs> that took on that took on so much new meaning. And and uh, I think he's a redheaded dwarf too. So <laughs> he is better. one of the red dwarves. Yes, one of the red dwarves. All right, Ken. Sorry, but go he, on. Uh, well, he, I, that did not, that was not lost on me though when I was reading it. But he he tells Caspian when they send him out to go look for this, uh, look for these four high kings and queens that might or might not come. You know, because he's a doubter. Uh, yeah. But he says he says you're my king. I know the difference between giving advice and taking orders. You've had my advice. And now it's time to take orders. You know, it's time for orders. And I thought that's that's really uh, more of a it's more of a, a thing that grownups need to learn, but it's a great thing for kids to learn. I, again, thinking of who he's he's telling the story to, but it's a great thing for kids to learn. It's like say your piece, have your input, but when it's time to act, when it's time to follow through with whatever job needs to be done, just do the job. Yeah, just I, go and do it. I remember reading that and saying to myself, how different it is, or how different that perspective is. To a lot of other situations where we find people saying, no, if you're not going to do it my way, I quit. Yeah. I walk away. Well, And that's not what councils were about, and that's not what councils have always been for. I'll give you my advice. If you choose a different direction, I'll do what you ask. Well, and especially in a day and age where, and this is the phrase that makes me want to bleed right out of my eyes, is when people talk about, say your truth or my truth. or Truth is truth. So uh, well, I think what you're getting at. And that's what this is about. What you're getting at, Ken. Uh, is we live in a highly individualistic society. We live in a highly self-involved society. Right. Yes. That's what I said. <laughs> you said individualistic, <laughs> which is different. Okay. Anyway. Anyway, and so that's something that's lost. Now, there are some obvious and wonderful advantages to Western civilization yes. being as individualistic as it is. Sure. Yeah. One of the shortcomings, though, is that um, we all we're all the boss. We're all the boss. Mm -hmm. At least that's right. how we think of ourselves. And so when we uh, when it's time to uh, kind of melt back into the group 
and help the group accomplish something that's very difficult for a lot of people to do. Yes. Uh, so yeah, it's yes, a, a, a good lesson to I, take is that sometimes you aren't, you're not the chief, you're the Indian or whatever. Um, you need to that's insensitive. I'm offended. Okay. Boy, are we going to be in trouble now? Where's <laughs> Ryan? He saves us from such you're things. Not, you're not the cook. You're the <laughs> sous chef. Sure. <laughs> there you go. I don't know. Um, you're the anyway. dishwasher. There you go. <laughs> but the, yeah, the, but the point point is, yeah, I mean, there's a time to be individual and have your peace, but there's a time to, to think of the collective and the job and the group and, and do your job. I'll yeah. buy that. Right, okay. Uh, so I got a question, and, and this is an honest-to-goodness question that I do not know the answer to, um, so I was wondering if you guys did or if anybody out there does. Uh, the dwarf Nickabrick yes. is named Nickabrick. Uh, now, this immediately made me think of the fellowship of the ring uh when they're traveling through the swamps the mosquitoes in the swamps are called neeker breakers uh now i i don't know if he if tolkien had been reading these chapters at the you know inklings meetings or something and and lewis was like oh that's a fantastic word i'm gonna grab that one and made nick a brick but this is five years before the fellowship of the ring was published um, and so it made me wonder, okay, well, maybe it's not a, a thing peculiar to Tolkien after all. Maybe it's, this is just a British term. Uh, maybe this is something that's uh, common over there. Uh, this, this sound, whether it's Nickabrick or Nickabrickers or something along those lines. Uh, does this have something to do with bugs or mosquitoes or something? I don't know. I, I, um, I can't say that in I'm my time off. over there I heard, I heard Nickabrick as, uh, on a regular basis. Right. But um, it, you have to admit, every time he talks, you just want him to shut up. He's got the little buzzing quality. He's always it's, buzzing in the corner of the room. It well, is and, and, and it was interesting that he is the one that is aligned with the werewolf and the witch. Um, he's the one that's been fighting the direction that everything's going to go, and then he brings the witch and the werewolf into their meeting, and, and, and he becomes... It's, uh, in, in Lewis's writing, it's very easy to... It, it, at least for me, it's very easy to see who are going to be the people that you're going to want to be upset with yeah. and that you're going to want to fight against um, because he, he writes them very two-dimensionally to, some, to a great extent. Right. Um, and Nick Brick was one of those. Yeah, just make it easy for the kids to or, identify. Yeah, or at least yes. very transparently. It's like, yeah. this is the bad guy. You can tell because he's got black hair and an you know, <laughs> evil mustache or something. And he says, <laughs> yes. Exactly. Um, uh, oh, I, I was, I was going to say... I was very excited when the hag starts talking about bringing back the white witch. Yes. Oh, yeah. That um, I, I knew it wasn't going to happen because it's been a long, long time since I read this book. But I was like, I think I would have remembered if she came back. But at the same time, I was like, maybe, maybe she does. <laughs> and I was real excited. And I can't quite explain it. Was she that charismatic a bad guy? Because... Uh, I was really into the idea of her coming back for a few scenes. One of the things that I found interesting about that that discussion, um, we have Nickabrick who is and and Trumpkin to a certain extent who are saying, well, you know, I'm not sure if Aslan even existed. Not sure about these high kings, uh, or about the high king, and not sure about the four kings and queens. All of these kinds of things. But boy, do you remember the White Witch who made it a hundred years of winter? I mean, yeah. it, there, there, there's a selectivity about which magics we believe, uh, which pieces of this process we believe, and I, uh, for me at least, that was a that was a an interesting, uh, an interesting aha that that people will pick and choose what things they choose to believe. Well, in Nickabrick in making his pitch, he he says what is common, uh, common uh, in faith or in doubters of of faith and faith in whatever it, it doesn't have to be Christianity. Is he says he he talks about the hundred years of winter. It's like there's there's a tangible sign you can believe in right there, you know, yeah. saying like, I'm not believing in what I can't see. There's what I can see, you know, and that's, and that's how some, some people operate. It's like, yeah, I'll buy know, that. I gotta, I gotta see it to believe it. And that's not wrong. I mean, that's, mm. that's how people are. Some people are. It's, and he wasn't it's necessarily maybe a little, wrong. Maybe a little wrong. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> maybe a little if, wrong. If it's me, there's a, I'm not probably pretty good chance of, but. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, <laughs> But anyway, I I found that to be interesting. Is is that you know the doubters say, "Give me a sign," and we're I'm, I'm going to take it into Christianity for a second. You know, they say, "Give me a sign that you're you know Jesus." And he's like, "I'm not giving you a sign. You got to believe." I'm not going to believe until I have a sign. Well, sorry, yeah. you know, 
Yeah. Um, let's talk about Peter and Susan not being able to go back to Narnia. Let's kind of close on this. This is the, the last part of the book. Um, Peter reveals that he and Susan will no longer be coming back. Uh, he does not explain why. Is there any reason that you can think of other than that they will be too old? I I took... Um, or, does it explain why in the text? Maybe. It does not. No, it, I, I just always took it to mean that, that too old being that um, Narnia is a place for children to learn stories or learn lessons that they're going to need going forward into adulthood. And now Susan and Peter are to the age where you have learned your stories, even though they only go twice. You've learned your stories, and now it's time to go be grownups. You know? So they won't be coming back because they're grownups. That's, and I don't know if that's a simplistic way to look at it or if there was something deeper you know, that, that Lewis meant and I didn't catch, but that's just the way I took it, is that Lucy and Edmund still have stories to learn because they're younger. Um, he said, uh, I'm, I'm trying to find it, um, where what he says is, uh, oh, says, yes, that and other things. They were, they were talking about the fact that they'd brought all their things down from Care Paravel. And, and she said, was that what Aslan was talking to you and Susan about this morning? Yes, that and other things. I can't tell you all of it. There were things you wanted to say to Sue and me because we're not coming back to Narnia. Never, cried Edmund and Lucy in dismay. Oh, you two are, answered Peter, at least from what he said. I'm pretty sure he means you get to come back. You get back someday, but not Sue and me. He says we're getting too old. So, okay, he and does say that. And he says, oh, Peter, what awful bad luck can you bear it? Well, I think I can, said Peter. It's all rather different from what I thought. You'll understand when it comes to your last time. So there is a, there is a, uh, there is an indication that there is a time when your ability to access these magics ends. And this is, this is really interesting because based on what we saw in The Magician's Nephew, the, you touch the rings and it, the, the rings would work regardless of your age. Um, but there's something about the way that Narnia is now configured that that magic is based on uh, some ability to be able to access it. I've, I've always taken that, that conversation um, to be more about your belief in the magic, much like, much like Peter Pan uh, and the Lost Boys, you know, Peter never grows old. As long as he, as long as he stays young, he can stay in Neverland. As soon as he starts to get old, he either becomes a pirate or he has to go away. Um, it's it very much feels like if you're when when you get to a place where you no longer have innocence and when you uh, write all of these things off as fancies and fanciful stories, then yeah, then your ability to go back is gone. In fact, we I, I'm remembering that uh, later on we're going to have a moment where Susan and Lucy are talking. And Lucy's talking about the reality of Narnia and Susan says, oh yes, those were wonderful childhood dreams. And, you know, so that, that moment is coming where Lucy, but as I recall, Lucy has the ability to go back to Narnia almost anytime she wishes. Edmund grows out of it, uh, but Lucy does not. Lucy's connection to Aslan is a little bit different. And that's why I wondered when we were talking, when I mentioned earlier, if this has anything to do or anybody has had written anything about the calling of the apostles uh, as a Christian allegory, because, uh, there are, there were different things, different ways that the apostles approached the idea of, of their relationship with Christ. That's, that's part of where that was coming from. Okay. All right. Um, I, I wondered if Lewis was kind of warning readers not to try to come back to Narnia as adults. And maybe I, I kind of doubt it, but like, don't it, read this past yeah, it's like, look, you are, you're, you're 10, you've had a great time here, just, just leave it as memory, because if you come back, if you try to come back... And you try to read into it like a stupid podcast, <laughs> boy, are we going to take it <laughs> well, out on I'm, you? I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting there, I'm getting there, but we are, all of us, as we're kids, we're innocent, and we're, we're doe-eyed and bushy-tailed. Uh, or whatever the expression is, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. And, um, and as we get older, we get more sarcastic and cynical, and uh, we're too cool for uh, the proverbial school. And then, if we're lucky, if we're lucky, we grow out of that. Yes. yes. Not everybody does. Nope. But I was reminded, as I was reading through this bit about Peter and Susan not going back, um, of the dedication 
before the uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The dedication to that is written to Lucy Barfield, Owen Barfield's daughter. It's uh, C.S. Lewis's goddaughter. And he says, uh, my dear Lucy, I wrote this story for you, but when I began it, I had not realized that girls grow quicker than books. As a result, you are already too old for fairy tales, and by the time it is printed and bound, you will be older still, but someday you will be old enough to start reading fairy tales again. Mm-hmm. Oh. And so I, I'm wondering if uh, there's something applicable here with the idea of Peter and Susan not going back. Because uh, we will see them, spoiler alert, we'll see them in the last battle um, in yes, a different capacity. Now I feel like I don't need to read it. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've seen the movie. You'll be just fine. <laughs> so, anyway, um, so there's this idea that maybe Narnia is not, I'm talking literally year old. Either natural or chosen that needs to be brought with these yeah, you can't be can't be very cynical when you're reading narnia you can't no. be looking at stuff and going now hold on a second a <laughs> bach and orgy in the middle of all second. of this <laughs> when did that come up <laughs> you can't you can't do that kind of stuff because it ruins the book oh come on <laughs> uh okay well i think i'm pretty much good i've uh, given all the thoughts i want to give I have one last one that I okay. want to share. Final thought, Todd. Right at the end of the book. Um, when uh, when Aslan is talking about where the Telmarines came from, that they were descendants of pirates that right. took over a, took over an island and you know did all the things that colonizers do. Um, just had to throw that in there. Um, you betcha. And, uh, and he, gets to, uh, he gets to Caspian and he says, uh, you know, mark this, do you mark this well, King Caspian? This is where you, this is your heritage. And Caspian says, I do indeed, said, uh, said Caspian, I was wishing that I came of a more honorable lineage. And Aslan says, you come from the Lord Adam and the Lady Eve, said Aslan, and that is both honor enough to erect the head of the poorest beggar and shame enough to bow the soldiers of the greatest emperor of earth. Be content. Um, I've, I, there, were, there were two thoughts that came into my head at that moment in time. One of them was... Maybe we should be careful about who we give power to. If people want power, maybe we shouldn't be giving it to them. Um, and the other one was, you know what? There's, there is in all of us nobility that can be tapped, but that nobility is a shared nobility of humankind, and that when we when we use it um, in a in a manner that belittles or or um, diminishes others then what we really do is diminish ourselves. And if that sounds a little too hippie or humanistic or any of those kinds of things, I'm, I'm, too bad. I'm not, a, I'm not going to apologize. <laughs> I'm just going to smile politely and say, mm, yeah, okay. It's C.S. Lewis's words. They resonated with me. And it was, I, I'm, I'm glad that that was one of the last things that he put in the book. Yeah. Well, guys, we are over halfway done with the Chronicles of Narnia. Or if you're a fan of Saturday Night Live digital shorts from 10 years ago, <laughs> the chronic, the chronic what, what coals of Narnia. Narnia. <laughs> uh, anyway, so we're we're almost halfway. Or no, sorry, I we expect are some cupcakes next over time. halfway done. We're uh, we're coming up on the end here, so I hope everybody's enjoying it. We've got three three more books Good left morning. to go, and uh, and then we will move on to the next series, which is the King Killer Chronicles. <sighs> so and that is. Boy, is that going to be different from uh, Narnia? Todd, you haven't read that yet. Have I have you? not. I'll, Ken, have you read King Killer? Oh boy! So we'll 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 be the newbies on this oh, one. Oh boy! So anyway, I hope everybody's looking forward to that. It will come up faster than you think because we're only doing one episode per book on Narnia. So uh, yeah, very very soon we'll so we be. Got, we got three Narnias left and one Oathbringer. Like, yeah, it sounds like about April. Well, and I I think we'll probably sneak one or two other episodes in there. Yeah. Um, it, I, I saw Black Panther this weekend. You guys probably did too. Yes. We did. Um, and so, you know, we got we to gotta do a movie discussion. There, another one's coming out in a couple weeks, and I thought we might do a, a combined episode okay. on those. Um, anyway, so yeah, we've got some other things that will pop in there. But if you have not yet read King Killer Chronicles by Patrick Rothfuss, uh, maybe you want to get started on that so you can keep up with us. Anyway, other than that, uh, we'll see you next week for what are we reading voyage of the dawn treader uh voyage of the dawn treader is coming up that is our book five in the chronicles of narnia we really appreciate you guys listening in uh joining in go to the legendarium.reddit.com to join in the conversation there go to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show 
thank you to all of our patrons, and I am very nearly ready to send out our uh, gift package for this uh, this season. Um, there is a very talented Tolkien illustrator who Ooh. is including two illustrations in this gift package. Very cool. Um, along with some other stuff. So anyway, I, I will let you know more about that as it happens. Uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter for updates on things like that uh, and on Reddit, like I said. And we will see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.